Chapter One of Katrina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Wayne Cook. Katrina by Robert Louis Stevenson. Chapter One A Beggar on Horseback. The twenty fifth day of August, seventeen fifty one, about two in the afternoon, I, David Balfour, came forth of the British Linen Company, a porter attending me with a bag of money, and some of the chief of these merchants bowing me from their doors. Two days before, and even so late as yesterday morning, I was like a beggar man by the wayside, clad in rags, brought down to my last shillings, my companion a condemned traitor, a price set on my own head for a crime with the news of which the country rang. Today I was served heir to my position in life, a landed laird, a bank porter by me carrying my gold, recommendations in my pocket, and, in the words of the saying, the ball directly at my foot. There were two circumstances that served me as ballast for so much sale. The first was the very difficult and deadly business I had still to handle. The second, the place that I was in the tall black city and the numbers and movement and noise of so many folk made a new world for me after the moorland braes the sea sands and the still countrysides that i had frequented up to then the throng of the citizens in particular abashed me rankinlor's son was short and small in girth his clothes scarcely held on me and it was plain i was ill qualified to strut in the front of a bank porter it was plain, if I did so, I should but set folk laughing, and, what was worse in my case, set them asking questions, so that I behooved to come by some clothes of my own, and in the meanwhile to walk by the porter's side and put my hand on his arm as though we were a pair of friends. At a merchant's in the Luckenbooths I had myself fitted out, none too fine, for I had no idea to appear like a beggar on horseback, but comely and responsible, so that servants should respect me. Thence to an armorer's, where I got a plain sword, to suit with my degree in life. I felt safer with a weapon, though, for one so ignorant of defense, it might be called an added danger. The porter, who was naturally a man of some experience, judged my accoutrement to be well chosen. Nathan can speckle, said he, blend that can glass, far as for the rapier. Nair thought it sits with your degree, but I had it been you, I would have weared my serial better against than that. And he proposed I should buy winter hosen from a wife in the Cowgate back that was a cousin of his own, and made them extraordinary adorable. But I had other matters on my hand more pressing. Here I was in this old black city, which was for all the world like a rapid warren, not only by the number of its indwellers, but by the complication of its passages and holes. It was indeed a place where no stranger had a chance to find a friend, let be another stranger. Suppose him even to hit on the right close, people dwelt so thronged in these tall houses, he might very well seek a day before he chanced on the right door. The ordinary course was to hire a lad they call a caddy, who was like a guide or pilot, led you where you had an occasion, and, your errands being done, brought you again where you were lodging. But these caddies, always being employed in the same sort of services, and having it for obligation to be well informed of every house and person in the city, had grown to form a brotherhood of spies, and I knew from tales of Mr. Campbell's how they communicated one with another, 
what a rage of curiosity they conceived as their employer's business, and how they were like eyes and fingers to the police. It would be a piece of little wisdom, the way I was now placed, to take such a ferret to my tails. I had three visits to make, all immediately needful. To my kinsman, Mr. Balfour of Pillarig, to Stuart, the writer, that was Appen's agent, and to William Grant, Esquire, of Preston Grange, Lord Advocate of Scotland. Mr. Balfour's was a non-committal visit, and besides, Pillarig being in the country, I made bold to find the way to it myself, with the help of my two legs and a Scots tongue. But the rest were in a different case. Not only was a visitor to Appen's agent, in the midst of the cry about the Appen murder, dangerous in itself, but it was highly inconsistent with the other. I was like to have a bad enough time of it with my Lord Advocate Grant, the best of ways, but to go to him hot-foot from Appen's agent was little likely to mend my own affairs, and might prove the mere ruin of friend Allen's. The whole thing, besides, gave me a look of running with the hare and hunting with the hounds that was little to my fancy. I determined, therefore, to be done at once with Mr. Stewart and the whole Jacobitical side of my business, and to profit for that purpose by the guidance of the porter at my side. But it chanced that I had scarce given him the address when there came a sprinkle of rain. Nothing to hurt, only for my new clothes, and we took shelter under a pen at the head of a close or alley. Being strange to what I saw, I stepped a little farther in. The narrow paved way descended swiftly. Prodigious tall houses sprang up on each side and bulged out one story beyond the other as they rose. At the top only a ribbon of sky showed in. By what I could spy in the windows, and by the respectable persons that passed out and in, I saw the houses to be very well occupied, and the whole appearance of the place interested me like a tale. I was still gazing when there came a sudden brisk tramp of feet in time and a clash of steel behind me. Turning quickly, I was aware of a party of armed soldiers, and in their midst a tall man in a great coat. He walked with a stoop that was like a piece of courtesy, genteel and insinuating. He waved his hands plausibly as he went, and his face was sly and handsome. I thought his eye took me in, but could not meet it. This procession went by to a door in the close, which a serving-man in a fine livery set open, and two of the soldier-lads carried the prisoner within, the rest lingering with their firelocks by the door. There can nothing pass in the streets of a city without some following of idle folk and children. It was so now, but the more part melted away incontinent until but three were left. One was a girl. She was dressed like a lady, and had a screen of the Drummond colors on her head. But her comrades, or, I should say, followers, were ragged gillies, such as I had seen the matches of by the dozen in my highland journey. They all spoke together earnestly in Gaelic, the sound of which was pleasant in my ears for the sake of Alan. And though the rain was by again, and my porter plucked at me to be going, I even drew nearer where they were to listen. The lady scolded sharply, the others making apologies and cringing before her, so that I made sure she was come of a chief's house. All the while the three of them sought in their pockets, and by what I could make out, they had the matter of half a farthing among the party, which made me smile a little to see all highland folk alike for fine obeisances and empty sporns. 
it chanced that the girl turned suddenly about so that i saw her face for the first time there is no greater wonder than the way the face of a young woman fits in a man's mind and stays there and he can never tell you why it had just seems that it was the thing he wanted she had wonderful bright eyes like stars and i dare say the eyes had a part in it but what i remember the most clearly was the way her lips were a trifle open as she turned and whatever was the cause i stood there staring like a fool on her side as she had not known there was any one so near she looked at me a little longer and perhaps with more surprise than was entirely civil it went through my country head that she might be wondering at my new clothes with that i blushed to my hair and at the sight of my colouring it is to be supposed she drew her own conclusions for she moved her gillies farther down the close and they fell again to this dispute for i could hear no more of it i had often admired a lassie before then if scarce so sudden and strong and it was rather my disposition to withdraw than to come forward for i was much in fear of mockery from the womenkind you would have thought i had now all the more reason to pursue my common practice since i had met this young lady in the city street seemingly following a prisoner and accompanied by two very ragged indecent-like hymenmen but there was here a different ingredient it was plain the girl thought i had been prying in her secrets and with my new clothes and sword and at the top of my new fortunes this was more than i could swallow the beggar on horseback could not bear to be thrust down so low or at least of it not by this young lady i followed accordingly and took off my new hat to her the best that i was able madam i said i think it is only fair to myself to let you understand that i have no gaelic it is true i was listening for i have friends of mine own across a highland line and the sound of that tongue comes friendly but for your private affairs if you had spoken greek i might have had more guess at them she made me a little distant curtsey there is no harm done she said with a pretty accent most like the english but more agreeable a cat may look at a king i do not mean to offend said i i have no skill of city manners i never before this day set foot inside the doors of edinburgh take me for a country lad it's what i am and i would rather i told you than you found it out indeed it will be a very unusual thing for strangers to be speaking to each other in the causeway she replied but if you are landward bred it will be different i am as landward as yourself i am highland as you see and think myself the father for my home it is not yet a week since i passed the line said i less than a week ago i was on the braes of balwhither balwhither she cries come ye from balwhither the name of it makes all there is of me rejoice you will not have been long there and not known some of our friends and family i lived with a very honest kind man called duncan du mclaren i replied well i know duncan and you give him the true name she said and if he is an honest man his wife is honest indeed ay said i they are fine people and the place is a bonny place where in the great world is such another she cries i am loving the smell of that place and the roots that grow there i was infinitely taken with the spirit of the maid i could be wishing i had brought you a spray of that heather says i and though i did ill to speak with you at the first 
now it seems we have common acquaintance. I make it my petition you will not forget me. David Balfour is the name I am known by. This is my lucky day, when I have just come into a landed estate, and am not very long out of a deadly peril. I wish you would keep my name in mind for the sake of Balwither, said I, and I will yours for the sake of my lucky day. My name is not spoken, she replied with a great deal of haughtiness. More than a hundred years it has not gone upon men's tongue, save for a blink. I am nameless, like the folk of peace. Katrina Drummond is the one I use. Now, indeed, I knew where I was standing. In all broad Scotland there was but one name proscribed, and that was the name of the MacGregors. Yet, so far from fleeing this undesirable acquaintance, I plunged the deeper in. I have been sitting with one who was in the same case with yourself, said I, and I think he will be one of your friends. They call him Robin Oig. Did ye so? cried she. Ye met Rob? I passed the night with him, said I. He is a fowl of the night, said she. There was a set of pipes there, I went on, so you may judge if the time passed. You should be no enemy in all events, said she. That was his brother there a moment since, with the red soldiers round him. It is him that I call father. Is it so? cried I. Are you the daughter of James Moores? All the daughter that he has, said she, the daughter of a prisoner, that I should forget it so, even for one hour, to talk with strangers. Here one of the gillies addressed her in what he had of English, to know what she, meaning by that himself, was to do about Tashinan. I took some note of him for a short, bandy-legged, red-haired, big-headed man that I was to know more of to my cost. There can be none the day, Neil, she replied. How will ye get Sheenson wanton siller? I will teach you another time to be more careful, and I think James Moore will not be very well pleased with Neil of the Tom. Miss Drummond, I said, I told you I was in my lucky day. Here I am, and a bank porter at my tail and I remember I have had the hospitality of your own country, a ball with her. It is not one of my people gave it, said she. Ah, well, said I, but I am owing your uncle at least for some springs upon the pipes, besides which I have offered myself to be your friend, and you have been so forgetful that you did not refuse me in the proper time. If it had been a great sum, it might have done you honor, said she, but I will tell you what this is. James Moore lies shackled in prison, but this time past they will be bringing him down here daily to the advocates. The advocates, I cried, is that it is the house of the Lord Advocate Grant of Peston Range, she said. There they bring my father one time and another, for what purpose I have no thought in my mind, but it seems there is some hope dawned for him. All the same time they will not let me be seeing him, nor yet him write and we wait upon the King's Street to catch him, and now we give him his snuff as he goes by, and now something else, and here is his son of trouble, Neil, son of Duncan, has lost my four-penny piece that was to buy that snuff, and James Moore must go wanting, and will think this daughter has forgotten him. I took sixpence from my pocket, gave it to Neil, and bade him to go about his errand. Then to her, that sixpence came with me by Balhwither, said I. Ah, she said. You are a friend of the Gigara. I would not like to deceive you either, said I. 
I know very little about the Gregara and less of James Moore and his doings, but since the while I have been standing in this close, I seem to know something of yourself. And if you will just say, A friend to Miss Katrina, I will see you are the less cheated. One cannot be without the other, said she. I will even try, said I. And what will you be thinking of myself, she cried, to be holding my hand to the first stranger? I am thinking nothing but that you are a good daughter, said I. I must not be without repaying it, she said. Where is it you stop? To tell the truth, I am stopping nowhere yet, said I, being not full three hours in the city. But if you will give me your direction, I will be so bold as come seeking my sixpence for myself. Well, that I can trust you for that, she asked. You need have little fear, said I. James Moore could not bear it else, said she. I stop beyond the village of Dean, on the north side of the water, with Mrs. Drummond Ogilvy of Allardyce, who is my dear friend, and will be glad to thank you. You are to see me, then, so soon as what I have to do permits, said I, and the remembrance of Alan rolling in again upon my mind, I made haste to say farewell. I could not but think, even as I did so, that we had made extraordinary free upon short acquaintance, and that a really wise young lady would have shown herself more backward. I think it was the bank porter that put me from this ungallant train of thought. I tell you that you be lad of some kind of sense, he began, shooting out his lips. You're not likely to gang far this gate. A fool and sir soon parted. Eh, but you're a green gallant, he cried, and the vilchiest day. Gregoran up your weeper, Joss. If you dare to speak of the young lady, I began. Larry, he cried. Hodders and sailors. What a Larry. Con north a Larry? O crown four on them. Larry's, marin. It where you see no acquaintance in Embro. A clasp of anger took me. Here, I said. Lead me where I told you and keep your foul mouth shut. He did not wholly obey me, for though he no more addressed me directly, he very imprudent sang at me as he went in a manner of innuendo and with an exceeding ill voice and ear. A small lay come down the street, her coppers did flee. She crossed to look a hint at to you, and who see her negligee. We're going east and west, we're going on G, we're going east and west to court and Malilee. End chapter 1